0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
1: This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Coming up in a bit, we're going to have Nathan Makaborski, our executive editor, to discuss some changes around both the Yankees and Major League Baseball in general's minor league system. But first, joining me from MLB.com, we have Jesse Sanchez. How you doing, Jesse?
2: Hey, John. How are you? Great to hear you.
1: I'm great, man. It's good to hear you too. And The reason I wanted to have you on is, I don't know if fans have uh, checked it out already, but you have a feature that just went up on the website about the number one prospect in the Yankees system, Jason Dominguez, and I had the opportunity to spend some time with him earlier this year, pre-pandemic, whatever you want to say also, and I I just thought it would be fun if we could you know, compare notes about what is a really, really interesting dude.
2: Oh, definitely, man. He's a... He's. I've covered international prospects for you know, over a decade, and you know, just completed my 20th season here at MLB.com. And and this young man, you remember, he's just 17 years old. He's been a story for you know a few years, but he's a a fascinating kid, and he's fun to watch. And there's tons of anticipation, and there's a, expectations on him. And you know, getting to know him a little bit was a real treat, as you know.
1: For sure, and and, and so you mentioned obviously. You know, Jesse, one of the things that you are best known for around MLB.com is the way you have your pulse on the international system every year leading up to that signing on July 2nd. So I even want to go back a little bit here. When, when did you first start hearing about Jason?
2: He was probably 14 or 15 years old, you know, at least or maybe 14. There was just always a buzz around the top prospects internationally. and And that includes, you know, the Dominican Republic, Venezuela. Central America, some of the Asian countries, these guys create a buzz. So international directors are talking about them. International scouts are talking about them. When they're like 14 or 15-year-old, and that was consistent with what happened with Jason. What happens a lot of times is they create the benchmark of how you compare other prospects. Uh, They'll say, you know, he doesn't have the tools of Dominguez, but he's pretty good. Or he can throw like Dominguez, but he might not be able to hit. So, and that happens you know, every year where, you know, the cream of the crop rises to the top of the international world, and, you know, there's just a the buzz around them, and, and everybody starts talking about them. And, uh, you know, I think it's great for baseball. I think it's great for fans that we can talk about these kids when they're 15, 16, and when they sign, you know, they go right into, you know, Dominican Summer League and you know, after some time in each club's academy, and we can follow them their entire career. We can follow them from their signing all the way up to their big league debut and and follow them as they make their way, you know, through the major league. So Jason is definitely one of those guys that uh, we've been talking about for it seems like several years, but he's only 17.
1: That's the amazing thing, obviously. And I I wrote about this in my story that was in uh, Yankees magazine earlier this year. But you sit with him and first off, I mean, he is just hulk style tearing through his shirt but then you look at him and he's got these braces and he's kind of swiveling around in his chair a little uncomfortably you know not someone who's necessarily used to going through the hour and a half long interview or whatever that that we were putting him through you just keep on getting like on the one hand you're looking at this specimen of a athlete and then you're remembering oh like you're a kid man
2: (laughs) right he should be a junior in high school like you know what I mean? He should be getting this. When you were talking to him, 16 or 17, you know, you should be getting your driver's license, going to homecoming football games or or whatever, doing your homework. And, and these guys are professional athletes. So, you know, I think it's pretty neat that you were able to interview them and spend some time with them. I think that's another thing that I've seen that helps these young guys because, you know, they work on being professional athletes. They work on being baseball players you know, since they're like 12 years old, they really start taking it seriously. But there's this other side to it, uh, navigating media, understanding the pressures that come with the expectations uh, when they get to the U.S., the adjustments everybody has to make. It's definitely a reminder you spend some time with them that they're really young and and they're high school age kids. And, you know, we talk about their tools and we talk about all their potential and you envision them making in the big leagues and four or five years when they're still just 21, 22 years old, which is also extremely young. But you also have to remember, you know, they're human beings and they're young men and they're still trying to figure it out. And there's times when they miss home. One thing we need to continue to do, and I think you're great at it, is just humanizing these players and understanding, yes, they're awesome. Yes, the potential is there, but they're also teenagers and they're also people. So there's a lot going on there.
1: And it's really special that, You know, in my experience with the Yankees, I've actually had two now opportunities to spend, you know, a couple hours at a time at our Dominican Academy out in Boca Chica. And like you said, man, you go there and obviously you're looking at a lot of elite athletes, some world class athletes, and obviously this time around, a, a Jason Dominguez. But you're also looking at kids who are, you know, kind of almost in what at times is as much a boarding school as it is a professional baseball organization, you know, bet- you're, you're watching these kids like kind of just laughing and running around together and playing jokes on each other. And it sounds like a middle school or a, a high school almost. And then again, I, I hate to keep repeating it, but that's because that's they're not that far off from that. That, that kind of is what they would be in the States. And so it's endearing and it's hopeful, I guess. And it's nice to see the way that these academies are set up to give them that sense of, outlet and, and youthful exuberance. And and, and look, obviously there's also times when you look at it and you're just like, it feels a little uneasy sometimes maybe to, to see these young kids being so professionalized in some ways. But again, it's, it's, you know, it's just an interesting situation they have there. And it's fascinating to go. I mean, I I've had experience at the Yankees camp. I know I'm sure you've had experience more places down there and seeing how different teams do it, but it's really a special thing to get to see. And I'm very lucky. I I know to have had that access in my career.
2: Yes. The academies are definitely like a a crucial part of baseball. You know, that's where these kids sign at at 16 and that's their first stop, you know, and they'll live in these uh, team facilities, you know, where there are dorms, where they're, you know, basically a spring training kind of facility. You know, there's half fields, full fields, cages, weight rooms, uh, computer rooms. Um, You know, they get different types of educational classes there and that's why, you know, me speaking to, you know, parents over the years, they really take it seriously. Obviously, money matters, right? So people are going to pay attention to how much a bonus is going to be worth. And, you know, that, that's a big part of the decision. But talking to parents over the years, and they don't come out and say it this way, but it's what it reminds me of college recruiting, sending your kid off to college. Is he going to be in a, what's his dorm going to look like? What kind of uh, facilities is he going to have around him? Uh, what's the education going to be like? So these are definitely family decisions. When someone chooses the Yankees, I mean, obviously, it's, the, the, it's a legendary club, uh, world famous, and one of the most successful sports franchises in the history of sports. That's, that goes a long way. The bonuses go a long way. But there's also this element for parents and families, like, how safe is my son going to be? He's 16 years old and I'm sending him, basically sending him away. And is he going, what's the food going to be like? What's his bed going to be like? What's, what kind of education is he going to get there? So I'm really glad you got to experience the academies because they really mean so much to not only like the development of these young players, they mean so much to the parents. So, you know, the academy is an important big experience and what I've seen so far, Uh, all my years of covering international baseball, uh, the families have a big input and the academy has something to do with it. So I'm really happy you got to see that.
1: For sure. You mentioned what the wondering of what the food's going to be like. Obviously anyone who follows Jason Dominguez on social media knows that there's only one way to his heart and that's with avocados. Um, You know, one thing that I find funny about his social media presence is, especially in the off season before what was supposed to be a 2020 season and turned out not to be one for him. But you know, so, so much of his social media was again, avocados, but also just flashy cars (laughs) and things like that and and stuff with his friends. And yet, obviously, as you noted in the, in the lead to your story, he's also a kid who signs, you know, a record contract for an international player. And yet uh, when he goes to buy himself a, a car as a reward, you know, his Bugatti, as he called it, it was actually a Honda. And, and right. I, I I think that there, there was a lot of that that I saw too. And, and I don't want to make it seem phony because I mean it almost the opposite. There was this sense of, on the one hand, he kind of knows how to play the game of a young kid excited by things young kids are. But there was just such a practicality to him, the way he would talk about the way he went about his business and the way he – and when I say business, I mean his business of – Excelling as a baseball player, but also his business of being now, you know, a professional in some ways. And again, I I can repeat this over and over and over again. You just do this double take because you remind yourself when I was speaking to him, like you are 16.
2: You know, from a baseball perspective, you see like the maturity in their bodies. You know, you see the the now tools that are, that can play now. And then you see the potential, what it's going to play like in the future. So from a baseball standpoint, like, wow, these guys are baseball players. Jason Dominguez, there's no doubt he's a baseball player. You know, look at him. Look how he's built. Look how hard he's worked to get here. But there's also this maturity element that I've experienced talking to Jason and the people around him that what really makes him, thats also makes him just as special. I mean, there's this level of humility, um, a level of maturity, and just an understanding, yes, I got $5.1 million dollars yes the world expects a lot of me but i've just begun my career and that's one thing that really stood out to me that he he understood what happened you know he gets five million dollars life changes just imagine if you're 16 years old and and from one day to the next you have five million dollars obviously your life is going to change or it can change but what it hasn't changed is who he is and what allowed him to be the top prospect wasn't the bonus the, the what allowed him to reach that point where he was the most coveted prospect on the international market were his physical tools his makeup and just how hard he worked and that hasn't changed and uh, one thing that really another thing that stood out with talking to him and kind of getting to know him over the past you know couple of weeks or so and then you know in the past where I, I wrote about him in the past was that most recently he's spending time with uh you know White, White Sox outfielder Nomar Mazzara. I remember once upon a time, Nomar, he signed with the Texas Rangers for $5 million, you know, when he was 16 in 2011. That was a big deal. Uh, giving a teenager $5 million it was a record at the time. So I think he's picking Nomar's brain. How do you handle that life? Um, what changes? Uh, what's going to be expected of you? And and I think that's just a really neat thing for him to experience. I think it's a great thing on on Mazzara's behalf to share his experience because He's been through what Jason is gonna go through, high expectations, five million dollars. Everybody's watching you. Now what? And at the same time, he's also chatting and got to know former Mets outfielder, Fernando Martinez. I don't know if you guys you know you guys remember him for the Mets. He was a top international prospect, and he was a guy who just never really lived up to the expectations. But he was another guy who can share his experiences of the ups and downs and the challenges that come with being a highly touted international prospect and, and trying to make it work, you know, will he fulfill this hype? Will he live up to that potential? Um, Who knows, right? Who knows what baseball has in store for him? I think so, but I'm certain he's going to be fine either way, just because
1: of where his mind is. So it's a funny thing you mentioned about, you know, the challenges in front of him, because one thing that, I know I've certainly in in any time I've written about a player from the Dominican or really any any of these international markets that aren't subject to the MLB draft. One thing that's hard for some people to understand is just how different their baseball experience is from what baseball is like youth baseball is like in the states. I mean, these these, most of these kids aren't playing games; they're doing showcases, they're doing skills competitions or skills demonstrations and things like that. And one thing, uh, just a funny story for when I was with him, I happened, obviously, so he signed last year and went into like instructs and, you know, it was a big deal. And his first at bat, he puts one over the fence and, you know, that's all happy and good, whatever. But I happened to be there at the academy this year on his first day of instruction this year in January. Again, this goes back Mm -hmm. to when we thought there was going to be a full season, everything like that. Right. The world was a little different. I'm there on his very first day. So, Andrew Wright, who is the head of the Dominican Academy, you know, he he kind of does a little introductory thing with them and then puts them on the lines to throw with partners, whatever. And he's very clear on this. You know, throw 70%. 70%. It's day one. Just put some air under the ball. So, I'm standing, uh, you know, be, behind Jason's throwing partner. First ball he throws just airmails it wildly. And, you know, it's like kind of funny, whatever. Second one, same thing. I think the third one, the guy caught. Fourth one, and, and he's just throwing ball after ball after ball into the bullpen. And I'm sitting there and, and kind of – I'm I'm with a photographer and I'm kind of maybe saying, hey, why don't we like pull back a little bit like maybe we're getting in his way or something like that. And it kind yeah. of just keeps on happening. It keeps on happening. And you know we're chuckling and also we feel a little bad I and mean, we don't want to see anyone yeah. having a, tr- a struggle. And sometime in the middle of it, it, it just kind of hit me. And I had this thought in my head and I went to – again, Andrew Wright, the director of the academy, who confirmed it. And I just asked him – when do you think was the last time that Jason Dominguez was told to do something 70% to take it easy? Oh, right. And he said, oh, it's never happened for sure. And, and, and that's, that just hit me right away. Like this was such a long process that was starting literally that day. And he had gone from being, you know, a thousand miles per hour his entire life to now – Look, man, you've got your money. We paid you. You impress us already. Congratulations. We know who you are. We're excited about you. We're impressed. Now it's about how do we develop you into a major league superstar? And it's a very, very different process from how you get signed.
2: Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, what is, and as you mentioned, traditionally uh, scouting in Latin America, scouting in the Caribbean uh, for international players, tryouts were the main thing. Showcases were the main venue when that's a, you know, they run a 60 yard dash uh, hitters would hit infielders through their infield um, outfielders throw series of batting practice one thing that has developed maybe over the past decade or so maybe it's just a tad longer is the development of these leagues and especially in the dominican republic so now there's a lot more leagues for these top prospects to play where they can actually get some game action and so you add the traditional type of showcase tryouts to these games. And it gives evaluators a better sense of who they are. And one thing that's really emerged over the past few years, maybe the past three or four years, is the use of advanced technology down there. So they're using the same, you know, those cameras that slow everything down. They're using these things called power plates where they can kind of measure the strength. Um, Pretty much all the advanced tech that you see used on the domestic side for the guys evaluating uh, draft potential players clubs are starting to use that on the international side. And furthermore clubs even have their own methods of using that technology. So the way the Yankees would, you know, measure arm strength, speed, and different types of abilities might be different than the way the Phillies do it. So it's really evolving, but you're exactly right. Um, I think the lack of game time, the lack of game action is being addressed. But as we know, I mean, whether you're international player or a domestic player, the more games you can get, the better, the more experience you can get, the better. And back to that point, you're right. I don't think Jason Dominguez has ever gone less than 100% in his entire life.
1: (laughs) It was clear. And, and look, I mean, I think that we can wrap it up here pretty much. You just bring up an interesting point, obviously now, now the time is, is, is to wonder what became of this lost year. And obviously, it's not just Jason Dominguez. And unfortunately for Dominguez, he's probably more able to handle this than a lot of the other players in the academy just because, look, I mean, I hate to make it sound so transactional, but he just got a lot of money. He can he can put together what he needs to do in order to keep himself ready and, and get the facilities and, and things like that he needs. A lot of these guys, it's a lot harder. So obviously, it's not just the Yankees. Every academy down there, just right. like every minor leaguer in, in America lost a year. Where do you think this puts a now 17-year-old Jason Dominguez, who will be 18 when the 2021 minor league season starts? Where do you think that puts him starting next year?
2: You know, I mean, it's difficult to tell. It's really difficult to tell. I mean, by all, ind- all indications, the-, the Yankees player development folks can't wait to get him. I mean, they've really been have been looking forward to this. They've been hearing about Jason Dominguez for, you know, a couple years now, now that he's signed and he's in the system. Uh, the folks are ready to get their hands on him and, and help shape him into a minor league player, into a major league player. Guys like Dominguez, who knows? I still think the sky's the limit. I mean, it's hard. Obviously, he needed games, but maybe he's going to make it up somehow, whether that's backfield games, whether that's winter league, whether that's any other type of simulated games. The good news or also, or you can say bad news, is everybody is in the same boat. So everybody is trying to play catch up, get the reps in. So I wouldn't say this set him back just because talking to the kid, talking to the people around him, chatting with the Yankees, he's determined to make the Yankees feel he was the right call. He is worth their investment. So as far as I'm concerned, and I think, uh, Domingo would probably agree and the people around him, he's not going to be set back. It's not ideal, but, you know, sometimes things happen like that. Maybe in other cases, it's an injury that keeps a kid out six months. Maybe he pulls a lat that can, you know, delay his development or, you know, twists an ankle or breaks a bone. You know, sometimes that happens and we don't always know that kind of stuff or we don't even remember it. Like we're not going to think about a big leaguer, Right now, who's succeeding on a big league level, we're not going to remember, oh, remember when he was 17 and he, and he twisted his ankle and missed six months or whatever. Again, I think it just speaks to Dominguez being a special player. Obviously, the talent is there, but you spend any time with him, I think the real key, the real tool and, and the separator is his mindset, his ability to continue to work hard, and just his understanding that he's at the very beginning of his career. And if you ask him, he says he hasn't done anything yet.
1: Jesse, I appreciate you taking the time today. Everyone, I I encourage you to go follow Jesse at at Jesse Sanchez MLB. I promise you there's absolutely no better follow for learning all about international prospects and international baseball. And, of course, check out his feature on MLB.com about Jason Dominguez. And if you – If you haven't yet gotten enough of him, I urge you to go to yankees.com slash magazine and find my feature on him as well. I can tell you this. We're very lucky at Yankees Magazine. We get a lot of access to some huge superstars. And this year we had, as you would expect, features on Aaron Judge and features on DJ LeMayhew and features on, you know, all these incredible players in the Yankees. And it is notable to point out that by far, I think by something like two times or three times our most read story this year in Yankees magazine online was the Jason Dominguez feature. So I think that ought to tell you a little bit about how much excitement there is right now about this guy. Uh, Jesse, thanks so much. I appreciate you taking the time.
2: Hey, my pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, like I said, Nathan Makaborski will be joining me and we'll be chatting about some uh, upheaval, if you will, in the minor league system around baseball. So stick with us.
2: Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Deep to left.
1: Yastrzemski will not get its home run. A three-run home run for Bucky Dent. The Yankees now lead it by a score of
2: 3-2. Hey, folks, it's Bucky
0: Dent. Proud to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep the Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep the Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcasts or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon.
1: This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. As mentioned here for our second segment, I am joined by Yankees Magazine Executive Editor Nathan Makaborski. What's up, Nate?
0: Hello, everybody. How you doing today, John?
1: I'm doing well. Good to hear from you, man.
0: Likewise, likewise. There's been some stories in the news this week, so let's let's get to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I figure we should just obviously just spend this time wrapping up the 2020 election and then just move on from there, right?
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I mean, like obviously dominated the headlines uh, last weekend, but I was uh, pretty excited about the Yankees news that came out. Uh, The official press release was November 7th, which was last Saturday, that, you know, there's some some shuffling around of of the minor league affiliations, which we kind of knew was coming. And I'd been hearing rumblings for a while that the Somerset Patriots were perhaps in line to form an affiliation with the Yankees. And uh, I was excited about that because although they're called the Somerset Patriots, they do not play in Somerset, New Jersey. They play in the town of Bridgewater, which is in Somerset County, which also happens to be my hometown. Um, so I was I was pretty excited about that. I was texting with my parents, who still live in the neighborhood, right a stone's throw from the ballpark. So uh, we're all really really excited about this news.
1: It's very cool. And look, I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff to discuss about this. Read jigging of the minor league system. And I I think it's fair to say, I I hope I'm not saying someone's going to get me in trouble. You know, it's a shame in some regards. There's obviously a long history that not only the Yankees and fans have with some of these affiliates that are now no longer part of the system, but it's one of those things that weirdly like changes memories in a sense, you know, uh, I'll always think about going to, for example, Charleston and, you, know, you see pictures there of Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez from when they were playing there. And it's not like the Yankees aren't going to have a low A team anymore. They're still going to have a team in that division. But it's just a little different. Yeah,
0: I mean, you know, it, it happens. You know, when I was growing up, the, the Yankees triple A team was always the Columbus Clippers out in Ohio. And then things change every once in a while. And, uh, you know, I feel for the folks in, in Trenton who are who are sad to see the Yankees leave. Um, I, I get it. And uh, you know the, the folks down in Pulaski, Virginia, as well. But you know, very exciting about seeing Double A baseball in, in Bridgewater is is really cool. A Single A affiliate now up in uh, Hudson Valley. They're going to be nice and local, so it's really I think good news for a lot of people up in this area. You know, in kind of Yankees country, uh, you're going to be able to go see the uh, the next generation of Yankee stars uh, as they're kind of coming up. Minor league ladder uh, a lot more easily than than in the past.
1: I, I'm excited too. I'm, I've never been to you know a Hudson Valley Renegades game. I've never been to a Somerset Patriots game. I, I, I'll admit feeling some sense of melancholy right now because of some of the amazing experiences that I had writing in Trenton and writing in Charleston. I had the opportunity to get just incredible access and Staten Island, I should mention, incredible access, which is common in the minor leagues. And I and there's no reason to think that we'll have less access in, you know, Somerset or Hudson Valley or what have you. But there was something special about the memories that I have, which came from time I spent in Charleston and time I spent in Trenton. And obviously, look, on the last uh, segment, uh Jesse Sanchez and I discussed Jason Dominguez, which I initially I figured when I thought there was going to be a minor league season in 2020, I figured that was going to be a minor league report. It turned out to just be a regular feature. But obviously, I know I can speak for myself. I think I could probably speak for you just how much joy I've gotten in general over the years writing minor league features. And I'd love to spend a little bit of time with you, Nate, just talking about some of our favorite pieces we've written down on the farm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the minor league report is a, you know, a feature length story that we we do in Yankees magazine every month. You know, John, some of my favorite stories that you've written have been minor league reports. One that comes to mind, I think it was you went down to Charleston to do a story on one player. And then as you were going there, he got promoted or got hurt or something. I forget the exact details, but you kind of Shifted on the fly and ended up doing a completely different story about uh, catcher, Donnie Sands. And that was like one of my favorite stories that you, that you've written. What are your, uh, your memories of that? Cause my, my memories of the details are a little fuzzy about how that came together.
1: You're pretty close. And I have to say that you actually made it happen in some regards. I was going down to do a story on then Yankees top prospect, Blake Rutherford. Uh, and yeah. Literally, the night before I left, I was sitting in the press box at Yankee Stadium when I saw come over Twitter that Rutherford had just been placed on the DL. Mm. Now, me and Jim Petruzzella, we had our plane tickets for the next day. We were going down to Charleston to see a player who, it turned out, was not going to be playing. And you mentioned to me, you know, there's a catcher there, Donnie Sands. I've heard rumblings of an incredibly interesting story. Maybe check that out, and that was the mo- that was all you gave me. And I don't know how much you did know, or how much, you know, you were hedging, kind of what you thought you might know, or anything like that. But for some reason, which I'll never understand, this guy who I had never met, Donnie Sands, chose to trust me and tell me his unbelievably harrowing life story of being homeless as a high schooler and literally trying to figure out how to become a better hitter by hitting pinto beans that his mother would toss to him to work on his hand coordination and his eyes and everything like that. And the story ended up being about how the Yankees were trying to turn him into a catcher from an infielder. And I, because it was the minor leagues and the way things worked there, I got to spend time, you know, literally on the field with them as they were teaching him how to do this stuff. And it was remarkable. And I've never had someone be that vulnerable with me I've never maybe that's not even true because I can actually think of other minor league stories yeah. <laughs> where players and family members have been that vulnerable with me but I'll never forget it and and, and I'll be honest I don't know if Donnie Sands is ever going to make the major leagues I kind of doubt it and that's no knock on him it's really hard to make the major leagues but I, I can promise you every couple of weeks I check on him I uh, you know look up to see if there's any news with him and he's someone I'll never forget. And he's someone I'll, who I'll always want to watch just because of that experience. That was so random. It was so random that it ended up working out. And I would say it's certainly one of my favorite stories that I've ever had the chance to write. And again, I, I it, it would not have happened without you.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, the details that you uncovered, I, I knew a little bit about him, but I mean, the details you uncovered, you know, between him you know, basically being homeless his senior year of high school and living out of his car and uh, his mom going back and forth between uh, Mexico and the States. I mean, it was just a really incredible story. And um, I was just blown away by it. And and that's the really cool thing about, you know, when we have the opportunity to to go down to the minors and Uh, get to know these guys a little bit and then, you know, you follow them along for sure. I mean, I guess it was the most recent minor league report I did was with uh, back in 2019, our first round draft pick, Anthony Volpe. You know, he was drafted in June and uh, his first kind of assignment uh, after spending a little bit of time down in Tampa was with the Pulaski Yankees, the rookie level team down in rural Southwest Virginia So I decided, you know, I wanted to kind of see this kid. You know, he was from my area, Central Jersey. Um, Now he's out on his own getting his pro career started. So I figured it might be kind of interesting to, you know, track him down right at the very beginning. You know, he had only played, you know, a handful of games by the time I got down there, maybe a week or two. And, um, you know, it it was really interesting not only to sort of document a player's first steps in their professional career, but also to just get a feel of what it's like to be in a, a rookie level environment. You know, I got to see the clubhouse and the, the the batting cage and the dining room, if you could even call it that. And the cool thing about it was, it was July 4th weekend. So the game I watched was July 3rd and they were planning a big fireworks show after that. So it was a sold out game. I mean, it felt like the entire town was there and you just got a really good sense of uh, the community and the people there. And everybody was just so friendly and so helpful. So nice. Like you said, with Donnie Sands, I mean, Anthony Volpe is definitely a guy who I I'm always checking up on to see how he's, Kind of progressing through the system because you know when you do a feature story on a guy and you you know you do all the research beforehand and you interview him and his teammates and his coaches I mean you really feel like you know the guy pretty well afterwards. So from our readers' perspective, I, I would think that you know hopefully they they get a little sense of that as well and they kind of uh, latch on to some of these guys that that we've written so much about.
1: I have to say it's a huge bummer for me. I had two trips over the course of the last few years scheduled to Pulaski, and both of them fell through for various reasons. But thats uh, I always wanted to get there. It's just one of those things like, why in the world would I ever be in Pulaski, Virginia, if not for this? And I was pretty jealous when you got to go there. And and, and in that same vein, man, were we lucky to be able to take business trips to Charleston, South Carolina, one of the greatest cities in the country, one of the certainly greatest food cities in the country. Uh, I'm I'm definitely going to miss that part
0: yeah no doubt you know and of course you know tampa we we often think of as our our spring training home but uh we've had a lot of great minor league reports uh stem from players and coaches down there right i mean was the the estevan florial story that you did i don't know if that was while he was with the tarpons but i mean that was like one of the best stories we've ever run in yankees magazine when was that one john
1: that was, I believe, that story, I pr- I published it in spring of 2018, mm-hmm. uh, based off a trip I did. I, I actually did the reporting for that over the course of a year in between the Arizona Fall League in Miami for the All-Star Futures game and the Dominican Republic. And I have to say, and this gets to a larger point that I want to talk to you about a little bit, but part of what I love so much about how we handled the minor league report is – Look, it's really fun to get to write about Aaron Judge. Don't get me wrong. It's really fun to spend time with DJ LeMayhew and, you know, get a good feature about him. Those those are really cool perks of our job. But the fact of the matter is, we're shedding very new light on Aaron Judge and DJ LeMayhew and, and those guys. especially with a beat like the Yankees beat, you know, most of these stories are getting told. It's the minor league report stories that where where we get to tell stories that probably would not be told if not for us. Right. And, you know, I could think of a lot of examples that you've done in that regard. I could certainly think of a lot of examples that I've done in that regard. You know, you mentioned the Floreal one. Again, I, I, <laughs> I keep on giving you a lot of credit for this. The germ of that story was you saying to me that you're pretty sure that there had never been a major league player from Haiti. And that's what made me kind of track him down a little bit and kind of keep asking him questions about his background in Haiti. And he kept on saying to me, "I'm actually not from Haiti. I'm from the Dominican Republic." And I was kind of like incredulous because, especially at the futures game, he's wearing a jersey that has a Haitian flag on it. <laughs> and you know, we, we've we've talked about this a lot in this podcast. The story ended up just being this incredible, almost a heist story in some regards, um, in the sense of trying to establish his identity because of a very innocent, if you want to call it a mistake, or if you want to call it a decision that his mother made to try to get him into kindergarten as a five-year-old, despite the fact that he had no papers. So she kind of found a different identity for him. And then he was supposed to be this huge prospect and he got suspended because his his papers were wrong and all these things. Again, that's just not a story that you get to dig into and tell about a player on the Yankees' 26-man roster. And he made his major league debut this year. And, and that was obviously a huge moment for Esteban Florial and the Florial family but i just i watched that with such glee yeah. because of the time i spent with him and the, the the what i know of his story and how hard he worked
0: yeah uh, it's really cool to go back and look at like back issues of yankees magazine from recent years and look at the minor league reports and look for you know, when's, when's the first time, uh, Aaron judge's photo appeared in Yankees magazine. When's the first time Gary Sanchez's photo appeared in Yankees magazine. It's often in the minor league reports. And you see, they're kind of, you know, these baby faced guys with wearing a, you know, a Trenton thunder Jersey or a Charleston river dogs Jersey or whatever the case may be. They're not all, uh, up with the majors now, you know, I remember, uh, Christina Dodge who used to was a longtime editor here. She kind of did like a multi-part story on, uh, was it Cito Culver or
1: the Jorge Mateo saga?
0: Oh yeah, and the Jorge Mateo. She, you know, she covered those guys wonderfully. And uh, you know, they just never never worked out with the Yankees or they moved on to other teams or what have you. But yeah, it, it's really fun, you know. Sometimes you'll have one little nugget, like you know, like, oh, there's never been a player from Haiti and, and you'll just chase it and it'll wind up being some story that just grows and grows. One one that I did a few years ago comes to mind. Um, where it was, you know, it was in the off season, probably around, you know, January 1st, when we start digging in, putting together the yearbook, you know, I always kind of go and look at the minor leagues coaching staffs to see, you know, who the managers are, has anything changed? I was looking at, I guess it was the Tampa Tarpons, probably about five years ago, and they had a coach on their staff, a guy by the name of Antonio Pacheco, And, you know, there's just a couple little lines in the media guide about his career as a player and mentioned that he was from Cuba. And his numbers kind of caught my eye because he had like an 18 year career or something there. And he had like over 1300 RBIs and like almost 300 home runs. I'm like, wow, like this, this guy was not just uh, some player like this guy was a stud. So. Uh, You know, I started to dig around and see what I could find out. And there was, you know, a little bit of information, of course, that the late great Peter Bjarkman, who covered Cuban baseball so well for so many years, uh, had some stuff about Antonio on there. But um, I really wanted to know more about him. And so during spring training that year, um, I was able to sit down and uh, with the help of an interpreter really get his whole life story. Uh, And it was just incredible. I mean, it was like, Again, one of one of my favorite stories I've I've written or or, or seen in Yankees magazine, uh, and it all stemmed from just a little line in the media guide about what this guy had done as a player back in Cuba in like the eighties and nineties.
1: It was remarkable, and I, I I I I so remember reading it. And again, I hate to keep repeating myself, but it was a story that did not appear in any other publication that year, and that's really hard to do on the Yankees beat. And and I think that that. God, I mean, I love that. I love it so much. I love thinking back to two experiences that I had in Trenton. One of them, I was doing a story on then Trenton Thunder manager Pat Osborne. Oh, yeah. And I, I had dealt with him a few times in the past, and he was a good dude. And I really wanted to ask for, you know, the moon in terms of access. And they said yes. And I'll never forget. What they said we could do was we could literally hang out in the dugout for the first three innings of the game. Watching him manage. <laughs>
0: That's not happening in the Bronx. <laughs> it's not happening.
1: No, I mean the, the the difference between a minor league report and a major league story is y- y- you never need binoculars because they'll let you get right there. It was literally I I literally stood next to him in the dugout as he managed a regular season game, and you know I've had a couple experiences like that. I, I remember covering the AA All Star Game in Trenton mm-hmm. and being there for the Home Run Derby, and for whatever reason I don't even remember why, but for the for the championship round. I was just standing on the field next to their PR guy, just watching. Obviously, look, it's the minor league home run derby. It's not the major league home run derby. But, you know, I was about 12 feet from the batter's box as as the final round is happening. (laughs) And I don't know why that was. And, And similarly, I did a story years back about Danny Burrell, as I mentioned, the Yankees pitching coordinator. And one thing that happened while we were there was that they were trying to turn Dermis Garcia at the time, a big prospect, Into a pitcher, and I was there the night they told him that they were going to try to make the change, and I was there the next day when he threw his first ever bullpen session. I was standing again ten feet away from him as he did this, and I mean, I I feel like we're repeating ourselves here. We can we can probably wrap it up pretty close, but just I'm curious. You know, what are those things, memories that you have in terms of like just crazy access that you would never, ever, ever see in a major league story?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, you mentioned the double-A the all-star game, and uh, I covered the the one in 2018 that was up in New Hampshire. And same kind of deal, you know, I'm just down there hanging out in the dugout, like not during the game itself, but before and after. And they did a really good job, the Eastern League, of putting on that all-star game. So much stuff like that. And it's, it's always so fun for us. Like, it's just such a nice change of pace, and it also reminds you of how difficult it is to get to the major leagues. You know, there's so many guys down in the minors, and they all have the same dream. And it's just, you know, it's not going to work out for everybody. The numbers, you know, are what they are. It's just impossible for everybody to to realize that dream. But it's really something special. And uh, that's why I'm, you know, really looking forward to our affiliates being even closer. I think it's going to make it so that we can cover these these teams even better than we have in the past, and it's going to be less travel. And, John, I know you love Charleston, but let me let me show you around Bridgewater a little bit, and I'll <laughs> take you around to Finder and some of my old haunts, and uh, <laughs> we'll have a good time there as well.
1: <laughs> I, I hope just to leave everyone with the message that I know a lot of times – look, none of us has unlimited time here, and for those of you who are kind enough to subscribe to Yankees Magazine – I know sometimes it might seem, okay, yeah, I'll read this story about Garrett Cole, but I've never heard of this guy, so I'm going to you know just flip through it. And I, all I can say is, from my experience writing them and from my experience reading them, I truly believe that those are the best stories in Yankees Magazine, and it's the Minor League Report stories that makes Yankees Magazine so special. So I hope that if you are someone who has not been checking it out, usually, that you will start to now. And like Nate said, I hope that you will uh, find your way to some of these closer minor league affiliates to get to watch some of these guys because uh, they may not become big league stars and they may not become all-stars and they may not even you know make the major leagues but they all have stories that got them there and we do our best just like we do our best to tell the story of Aaron Judge we do our best to tell the stories of these guys who you may never see and it is to keep repeating myself part of what makes Yankees magazine so essential and special
0: John, I would just add that all these stories that we talked about today, I, I think pretty much every single one of them is is online. So if you Google Yankees Magazine and Donnie Sands or Yankees Magazine and Esteban Florial, you'll find these stories if, if you don't have the, the hard copies at home. So check them out if you're interested.
1: Nate, thanks for taking the time to chat today. I can't wait to do it again in a couple of weeks. Of course, two weeks from today is Thanksgiving. So we are going to take uh, that episode off, but we will be back in four weeks when I expect that we'll have maybe even a bit more clarity on things like the Hot Stove League and how things are shaping up for 2021. So I look forward to speaking to you then, Nate. Certainly in the meantime, have a very happy Thanksgiving and enjoy these couple of weeks when there's maybe a little bit less going on in the world than we've been used to.
0: Absolutely, John. It's going to be a, uh, a different holiday season since we're still in the midst of the pandemic, but uh, we'll have some good family time, some more family time together. Like we haven't had enough already
1: in 2020, but <laughs> it
0: should be should be a good one. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you again next time.
1: Absolutely, Nate. Stay safe. And to all of you, thanks for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Before you go, I want to tell you a little bit more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you liked hearing from us today, you should also check out Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, a podcast that Bucky hosts, which I have to tell you, the most recent episode is the one we've been waiting for all year. It is with Aaron Boone, the two of them. They absolutely take a mallet to the souls of Boston fans, and it's a a must listen. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcast or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. We'd also, of course, like to ask you to subscribe to Yankees Magazine. You can go to yankees.com publications to read all about our special holiday offers that are going to be launching right around Thanksgiving. There's amazing deals you can get on things like tickets. You can even purchase a subscription that includes a chance to participate in a Yankees Magazine podcast. I hope you'll check that out. Also, please, please, please consider purchasing the 2020 official New York Yankees yearbook. It's such a special publication this year. Obviously, 2020 is unforgettable in every way and it's a great memento of that season again you can go to yankees.com slash publications or call 800 go yanks to learn all about this plus if you'd like to see our content online get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine there you'll find our latest features to read from the magazine and we're also on twitter at yanks magazine give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce that's it see you next time happy thanksgiving stay safe and go yanks Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball.